You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Hello, and welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm Mark Brisley, Head of Dynamic Funds. And in the current investing landscape of low bond yields and a lower for longer interest rate environment, it's really no surprise that the conversation around equities that can provide income as an investment and asset class is attracting the attention it is. My guest today has been managing money in this area since 1997 and has fostered his views of equity income investing over a 38 plus year career that has included asset management, property development, and corporate banking. Oscar Belaish is the head of the equity income team here at Dynamic, a team that now includes more than 18 investment professionals and manages more than $18 billion in assets for clients of Dynamic Funds. He's created a process that governs his team approach to managing money that focuses on investing in quality businesses at a reasonable price, which can be summed up in the acronym QUARK. He is also a fan of the sports analogy that defense wins championships when it comes to investing and has defined that as meaning that you are willing to forego some of the upside of the market to protect on the downside as well. Because as Oscar says, slow and steady and staying invested wins the race over a full market cycle. Oscar, it's great to have you here today. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Oscar, I think I'll start off with asking you a question around a year like we've seen in 2020, which has really been like no other. The volatility in the market, one of the most dramatic falls we've seen, not only in the market, but economically, and also one of the most dramatic recoveries in history. Economic forecasts are in flux, earnings forecasts are moving all over the place, and you know, more supporting stimulus is unknown, as well as the course of the pandemic. Can you talk in a little bit more detail from your perspective as to the reasons why this year has been so extraordinary? So the reason it's been a year like no other is there's some research I came across that showed that we have not had a situation like this going back to 1900. And there are four events that have happened this year and only in three other years since 1900 have we had this situation occur. And this year there are four such events. So what are those four events? We've had clearly the COVID pandemic, which is the main event of the year, which has led to a recession, which is event number two. And at the same time, as a result of inequity, let's call it racial inequity, we've had mass protests, which is event number three. And we also have an intense election that is being fought over that is happening within less than 50 days now between the Republicans and the Democrats in the United States. Now, what that's led to is what I would call a scrambled chessboard, because no one has had the experience of living and operating in this situation since 1900 or potentially pre-1900. That's how far back this data went. And so there have been a number of changes in our society and people are looking to cope at it, and there are varying degrees of coping and varying degrees of distress and opportunity. We continue to see a disconnect between valuations and the economy as well. How has this impacted equity markets? What's happened is that price earnings multiples, which is what 
the market is valued on simplistically. It can also be valued on net asset value or discounted cash flow. Price earnings multiples have been expanding. And there are some companies that are growing their earnings, particularly in technology as a result of digitization. And some companies that have been adapting to this growth in digitization and work from home. There are also a number of companies and sectors that have not been able to adapt well, and they have negative growth or no growth or declining growth. And so that's the disconnect. So why has that happened? The reason why it's happened is because there's been a significant fiscal and monetary infusion. So the fiscal infusion from governments that have provided a replacement for lost income in many cases, and monetary support to ensure there's liquidity in the market. So when you put that together, the result has been that the discount rate that's used to discount cash flows has gone down, which means the cash flows that are available are more valuable, and particularly in the growth sectors of the market, those cash flows have become extremely valuable. And so we've also had a disconnect within the market between growth and value, between technology and, and other sectors that are more traditional sectors, such as cyclicals or defensives. Yeah, and it certainly has kind of raised this, this question from a lot of investors and, and ultimately people running money of explaining the differences between how the market's not the economy and the economy's not the market. And we've seen just unbelievable levels of stimulus and fiscal and monetary action that's been pumped into the system, especially year to date. What happens if this support, especially with regard to fiscal and monetary action, starts to wind down? That's a great question. And absolutely critical has been this fiscal and monetary support. But as we've seen in the United States, they haven't been able to agree on the next level of support, the fiscal support that many people believe the economy needs to keep functioning until such time as COVID is conquered or its effects are minimized. And what needs to happen for that is to get the appropriate treatment methods, which are emerging as well as a vaccine so that we don't have to all wear masks and be distant from each other, which impacts many industries today as we speak, like retail, uh, restaurants, hotels, travel, tourism, office uh, buildings, uh, sports stadiums, any place where people gather is still needing support. And the problem is in the United States right now is that the support is breaking down on the fiscal side because the Republicans and Democrats are not able to agree on what the appropriate level of support should be. And meanwhile, we have an election pending, we have a possible government shutdown, and we have recently had the death of Justice Ginsburg, which has other implications, for example, for Obamacare, which is another level of support in the economy. So it's a bit of a scrambled chessboard out there, and the support ideally will wind down when the vaccine and treatments are stronger and we can be more free in our ability to move around uh, socially and, and economically. Yeah, Oscar, when we look at the market, you've spoken about what we're now seeing uh, being described as a bifurcation between 
stocks that have benefited from the pandemic and, and those that have not. And, you know, I almost hate the expression, you know, COVID beneficiaries, but you've identified this concept really through a description of how it's impacted various sectors. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Sure. So the way you can look at it is it's it's like a barbell and the barbell and that bifurcation is between one end, which are the COVID beneficiaries, which are and have been the technology stocks and the growth stocks that thrive on this digitization pull forward, the cloud, the working from home, the e-commerce, the ability to deliver to home. All of these have been key factors for the COVID beneficiary sectors and those sectors are primarily the technology sector amazon is in the consumer discretionary sector so that's been a beneficiary and in the communication sector where you have companies like facebook and google and i believe netflix as well then those sectors have been the beneficiaries the other end of the barbell which are the vaccine beneficiaries have been lagging because we don't have the vaccine yet and, we, and so we're still in this uh, limbo land uh, that requires uh, that fiscal and monetary support we spoke about uh, those sectors traditionally you would you would I, i've got an acronym for them is fire you uh, financials industrials real estate energy and utilities and so financials Part of what they do is obviously economy sensitive and part of what they do is interest rate sensitive and with rates having fallen, that puts pressure on, on their net interest margin. Uh, industrials are cyclicals that are also dependent on GDP growth. And we've seen a recovery in industrials, but they've not been certainly as strong as the COVID beneficiaries on this fire use spectrum on uh, the other side of that barbell. Uh, real estate has been impacted in many ways. Certainly housing has been very supportive for real estate as people are looking for a better accommodation and larger accommodation. But office and, and retail shopping centers and hotels have not fared well in this environment. And then energy uh, demand has gone down because all these uh, places aren't open compared to what they used to be and utilities which we believe continue to be very attractive have just been sold off as part of a non-covid beneficiary so that what i believe will happen is as we move towards more certainty on a vaccine then we are going to get the fire use sectors are going to be the beneficiaries of that as we look forward oscar one of the sectors that you talked about in your fire you example uh, of course is real estate and, you know, I think there's such a conversation around real estate, in particular commercial property right now, based on is the world ever going to return to a commercial real estate use that, that we've been used to. I would love to tap into your perspectives based on your background and your thoughts on that looking forward. Sure. So within the real estate industry, there are a number of sectors, just like there are sectors within the stock market, the GICS sectors, there are a number of sectors in the real estate industry. And so... As a result of COVID, there have been a number of implications on each of the sectors. So you could also frame that as to COVID beneficiary real estate and COVID vaccine beneficiary or non-COVID beneficiaries uh, in light of our discussion. So for example, office is definitely troubled because people have not returned to work. And even if they do today, 
they're only able to go back at maybe 25 or 50% of capacity. I haven't really heard much more than that. And so office, if you were looking again on a one or two year basis, then you would want to own office because it's become very, very inexpensive relative to what it's traded at historically. However, if you think that things have changed significantly, uh, then you may want to shy away from office because what if some of the workforce will naturally no longer go to the office but continue to work from home and that would have implications on demand. When you look at retail, that's been the most hit and it was getting hit already by e-commerce and Amazon and shopping online but that's accelerated. And so retail shopping centers have really been uh, damaged as a result of uh, people not willing to go out and gather in crowds and browse through goods and, and clothes, etc. And so they're shopping more online and that's had huge implications on the retail sector, which was struggling already. If you look at industrial, industrial's done really well because you need warehouses. Uh, the Amazons of the world, the people who are shipping goods online need warehouses to store the goods, to have them picked up by truck and shipped either truck to truck transportation or truck to air to truck transportation. So the industrial sector is being very strong. The, the other element uh, is multifamily. And depending on the type of multifamily you have, if you have walk-up garden multifamily, then that's very attractive. You can drive up to your place and you don't have to get in an elevator. If you're in a high-rise multifamily in an urban location that's become a bit of a ghost town, then that's been more troubled. Uh, the other area has been the huge bifurcation between large and small in retail. So all the small shops, the little dry cleaners, the little restaurants, the little retailers, the street front retailers, their business is way down. And uh, in some cases they can't afford, or in many cases they can't even afford to pay their rent. And so you're getting a lot of job loss and wealth destruction at that area, whereas the big box retailers that in, in a number of cases were deemed essential services through uh, the lockdown uh, have done extremely well. And so there's an acronym for those companies called WATCH, which is Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. And those, those type of companies, those type of businesses are absolutely going to survive and, and even thrive regardless of the environment, whether it's COVID uh, or a vaccine. Uh, so that, that's a, sort of a, a viewpoint uh, in terms of uh, how real estate's been impacted. And the other part of real estate is housing, uh, single family housing or single family rental has also become much more in demand as people prefer to have more space and are leaving their urban locations to more suburb in order to have more space. Now, interestingly, as I believe there will eventually be a vaccine and we are gonna go back to what was normal pre-COVID, then what happens when these people have a commute back into town to go to work if they are requested to go back to their offices? So these are, these are all things that will unfold as we look forward. Well, thanks for sharing that view on real estate, Oscar. Those are, those are really great insights. There's, there's so much to think about in that particular sector. 
You've also referred to the current environment in terms of an acronym you've coined as PEST, P-E-S-T. What is that? And walk us through what that represents. Sure. So what we try to do as investors is try to create frameworks for our thinking. And also one of the frameworks is what are the themes that are taking place. And in the themes, we've talked about the vaccine beneficiaries work from home, cloud digitization as, as a big theme this year, and also that nesting theme. Related to trying to frame the environment is this acronym uh, called PEST, which is looking at the lens of what's going on from a political, economic, social, and technological viewpoint. And so on the political side, as we know, the biggest issue this year is the presidential election and the implications of that, which could include taxing the rich and redistributing the wealth because of income inequity. That leads into the economic issues, which the political issues will touch on, which include unemployment, modern monetary theory, which is the theory that governments can print money for nothing, uh, that this income inequity worsens or has worsened, and the concept of universal basic income, where everybody should have the right to a minimum level of income to survive. And that's really been brought forward this year as millions of people have been put on the unemployment rolls through no fault of their own and literally through no fault of the businesses they work in other than they just happen to be in sectors that have been the COVID non-beneficiaries, as I mentioned before, in that barbell, they would be vaccine beneficiaries, but right now they've been non-COVID beneficiaries. Uh, the social aspects also come from the economic aspects. So there's a question of socialism versus capitalism in our world now. And one of the concepts uh, that was recently tabled was sort of a more social capitalism trying to deal with social inequity, which is the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the racial inequity, uh, and also the implications for the vaccine and how we're going to get back to our social lives that we as humans thrive on. And then, of course, the technological changes that I've, I've mentioned include the digitization, uh, the e-commerce, the, the working from home, which are serious uh, changes that have been pulled forward uh, from where they were going. Uh, it's been accelerated and brought forward. So those are the past. So Oscar, you know, on the assumption that regardless of vaccine or, or how things sort of evolve with respect to the, the pandemic itself, you know, the world has probably changed forever. Virtual is, is probably realistic. How we gather will be changed. These themes that you talked about within PEST, do you see these as key investment themes for quite some time as you look ahead? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, these are framing our society as we go forward and have all kinds of implications on valuations, on interest rates, as we discussed uh, with lower interest rates. It has implications on different sectors of the market, uh, for example, on financials, on real estate, uh, so absolutely, there are all kinds of implications. I wanted to ask you a specific question about a couple of the funds that you run. You have two significantly sized balance funds in your portfolio, the Dynamic Strategic Yield Fund and the Dynamic Dividend Income Fund. 
given how you framed our discussion so far, can you talk us through a little bit how those particular balanced offerings are positioned right now? Sure. So the way we build our portfolios is we're diversified across sectors. Uh, there are 11 GIC sectors. And so we would have exposure to pretty well all of those sectors and the way we construct our portfolio. And so the current positioning in uh, the two funds, Strategic Yield and Dividend Income Fund, are these are balanced funds. And so they have a combination of equities and fixed income and cash. And so we're running about a 50-50 mix between equities and cash and fixed income today. And that's what we would call down the fairway investing. It's not aggressive. 60-40 uh, is sort of what some would refer to as a normal allocation. Uh, aggressive would be 70 equities and 30% cash and fixed income. And defensive would be 40% equities and 60% cash and fixed income. So we're sitting down the fairway and we have used some option strategies to supplement our uh, equity positions and generate income uh, while we're waiting. So effectively uh, getting paid to wait uh, with downside protection by writing put options. And with that view uh, towards the emphasis that you place on dividend paying equities, I wanted to ask you just about how you see the landscape for those particular uh, types of equities right now. And also, are, are companies maintaining, reducing, or outright cutting their dividends? And, and what are you hearing from the management teams you talk to? So on the equity side, most companies have been maintaining their dividends uh, that we invest in. That's not to say all companies are maintaining their dividends. There have been a number of dividend cuts uh, across uh, some of the more impacted sectors uh, that are non-COVID beneficiaries. But the companies we own, uh, there have been very few uh, dividend cuts because these are high-quality, defensive, great balance sheet, moat-type companies. And so we're, we're comfortable that these companies are going to survive and going to maintain their dividends and are going to, ideally, once we get past the stage of COVID, uh, go back to being able to grow their dividends or distributions. So Oscar, something that we're constantly faced with as, as a question from investors and in our conversations with advisors across Canada is, you know, with demographic that is changing and evolving quickly and, and an investing landscape where people are looking to hold a portfolio that can produce income. That's a goal that's becoming more challenging based on, on where we are today. Uh, it's covered broadly in the media and, and in articles that anyone can, can pick up quite easily. What would you say to investors that, that do need an income-producing portfolio and, and as it relates to how you're managing your portfolios right now? So we're the, uh, what we would describe ourselves, we're the equity income investors. Uh, we invest in these high-quality companies that pay a dividend or a distribution and we look for sustainability of that dividend. So that's related to uh, what we do, and that's what we've been doing for a long time. What happens is that the companies that can maintain their dividend yield today are trading at spreads between the yield and the risk-free rate, which is the 10-year treasury yield uh, in the United States, or the 10-year Canada bond in Canada, in the United States, that spread is now 
uh, the highest it's been since around 1958. Uh, so that's over 60 uh, years that we haven't seen uh, spreads uh, that are so attractive. And in Canada, we've never seen spreads so attractive uh, against the 10-year Government of Canada bond yield. So I think that when things stabilize, and they're still in that process of stabilizing, as I mentioned, this is the year of the super disruptors, so things are not stable, but there will be a time where things stabilize, and there will be a time when a, the vaccine will be effective, and there won't be as many cases, and there won't be as many hospitalizations. Already we're seeing less hospitalizations and less deaths, so as I mentioned, the treatment's getting better. Once we get that vaccine, those dividend yields are going to be very attractive, uh, and I think they're attractive today if you have the patience to look out a year or two and see that things will improve and stabilize. Um, but there is that continued need for income from those who are retired or plan to retire, and that landscape today is actually more attractive than it's been, as I mentioned, for historically ever in Canada and for over 60 years in the United States. Well, Oscar, thank you for those insights. And of course, we want to remind everyone that the best way to, to access this experience is through the use of a qualified financial advisor. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us today. And Oscar, thank you for your time. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.